the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. So what they're teaching us here by their response are some important things, and here's the first one. Faith should be in God's ability, not in the desired result. Faith should be in God's ability. Now listen, I understand. We are to pray specific prayers, Philippians 4, 6. Yes, we are to believe and not doubt, James 1, 6. But we are to believe and not doubt in the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could hope or imagine, not in the results themselves. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Daniel, seek the giver and not the gift. In today's message from Pastor Gary, he teaches you to not just seek the Lord for what he can give to you. As a disciple of Jesus, it's important that you're seeking to follow after him because you want to grow in your relationship with him. Don't just pray to the Lord for the results you'd like to see happen in your life. Pray to Him because you want to know and to love Him more. Pastor Gary encourages you that faith should be in God's ability and not in the desired result. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Daniel, chapter 3, as he continues his message, True Faith. This is that image, this pole, this, like a, a column that gets set up here. Some say it's, it's the image of the statue from Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2. He's kind of immortalizing the dream, the image that he saw. Others say that it might be an image of Nebuchadnezzar himself that he's had fashioned in this way, that he wants people to bow down and worship. And still others say that it probably is an image of the principal god of the Babylonians who at the time his name was Bel, B-E-L. But we don't know. We don't, we don't really know exactly why it was built and for whom it was built. It was just built, and this much we do know, that whenever the music sounded, you had to stop whatever you were doing and bow down and worship it. That's what he required of everybody. And that if you didn't, you would be immediately thrown into a fiery furnace. That would be the punishment. And so what is also known in this story is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down and worship it because it was a direct violation of God's law. You know, it's a direct violation of the second commandment. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 and 5, it says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, 
any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Remember when these young men came to Babylon, even as teenagers, like 15 years of age or so, they came with at least 15 or 16 years of a solid foundation in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and the law of God. And so they understood the commandments of God. They understood, they had a relationship with God. And, the, and again, they were unwavering in this. So when they're told, you need to bow down and worship this idol, they instantly recall second commandment, Exodus chapter 20, not going to do it. And, and so they stood for what they knew to be true. And there are times when civil disobedience might actually be necessary. Now, again, I, I want to make sure that I caution in what I'm saying here because I'm not advocating for any kind of anarchy, but I'm simply saying that there may be times when the law of man, that is to say government, in this case the king, imposes a law that is in direct violation of the law of God. And listen, my friends, as Christ followers, if ever there is a law of man that contradicts the higher law of God, we must always obey the higher law of God and suffer the consequences that might be. Because God must be supremely honored and worshiped and obeyed. And so here we have this case where a king has actually made a commandment, made a law that violates God's law. And these guys say, we're not going to do it. You see other examples of civil disobedience in the Bible, by the way. Exodus chapter 1 is another good example. When Pharaoh, the most powerful king on the planet at the time, orders the Hebrew midwives to start aborting, this basically partial birth abortion, start aborting any Jewish baby that's a boy to try to curtail the growing... Hebrew slave population. But the Hebrew midwives in Exodus chapter 1, it says, but they feared God, not the king. And so they refused to abort those babies. You also see it in Acts chapter 5, where Peter and John, who were ordered not to preach the gospel in the streets, but they refused, saying we must obey God rather than man. So there are times when there's a conflict between the higher law of God and the lower law of man. Hopefully, man's laws are derived from the higher ordinance of God. But when not, and when in conflict, we must obey the higher law of God. And these guys rose up to the occasion and said, sorry, king, we're going to suffer the consequences, whatever they may be, but we're not going to bow down to your idol. Now, they actually got ratted out. They got ratted out by some of the other advisors to the king. It says Chaldeans in the New King James. I think it says astrologers in the NIV. Again, these are guys who tapped into the demonic. They didn't just study the constellation. That's fine. They worship the constellation and they tapped into the demonic things. And as I said earlier in the past few weeks, you can trace all occult worship back to its roots in ancient Babylon. The advisors around the king were jealous. They were jealous that Daniel and his three buddies had solved the riddle in chapter two. And so as a way of just getting vengeance, they rat out these guys who are not bowing down to King Nebuchadnezzar's statue. So these three guys, rather these advisors, go to King Nebuchadnezzar and they say to him, King, remember those three guys back in chapter two who helped Daniel with that whole dream interpretation thing? Yeah, I know you really like them, but listen, here's, here's, here's the lowdown on them. They're not bowing down. They're not bowing down to your golden image. When you start playing the soundtrack from Lion King, they, don't, they just say, like, nah, we're not going to do it. And so they don't bow down to the golden image. And we just thought that you ought to know. And so they rat out these guys. Well, verse 15 says that Nebuchadnezzar is furious. Verse 13, he's furious about this. He goes into a rage and he has Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego brought before him. And he basically confronts them. Is this true? Is what I've heard. I'm going to give you a second chance. You hear the sound of the music. 
You bow down and worship my golden image that I've built here, fine. If you don't, though, you're going to get thrown into the fiery furnace. And they reply with great courage in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. It's like, we don't have to give you an explanation. We don't owe you an explanation. We're just going to honor God. They were unapologetic about their unwavering devotion to God. And they were willing to accept whatever consequences for it, even if it meant death. And what we find in their reaction are three important points about faith and one important point about God himself. I want you to notice the way that they respond to this whole command to bow down and worship this golden image, what it teaches us about faith and what it teaches us about God. First, by way of a working definition for faith, in biblical terms, faith is trust, confidence, and a firm reliance upon God. Trust, confidence, and a firm reliance upon God. Now, there are actually three types of faith mentioned in the Bible. When you think about it, there are different types of faith mentioned, three kinds. And these are, number one, saving faith. That's what you and I exercise when we come into a relationship with Jesus. This is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that we're saved through faith, not by works. We don't work our way to heaven. We get saved because we have faith in Jesus. That's saving faith. The second kind of faith we see in the Bible is a gift of faith. There are gifts mentioned throughout the New Testament. The lion's share of them are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Faith is listed as a gift that God gives some people as a special ability to rely on him in difficult situations. And you may have this gift or you may know someone who has this gift. It's like you know, the, your, your, your own little world can be just exploding in every direction, and yet you have just this calm reliance upon God, just this firm hold, and you're just like abiding with Him, and it's just a person of faith, and, and that is an admirable thing. If you have the gift of faith, when your world is falling apart, you are a wonderful example to the rest of us, because those of us who don't, don't like you. I mean, those of us who lack faith, you ever been in a situation where like, you don't have much faith and then your world is, you know, falling apart and you look at somebody else who has the gift of faith, you're like, why aren't you wigging out like I am? Uh, it's because they have the gift of faith and they just trust God. Trusting faith is also the kind of faith that the Bible mentions. And that's when you believe God who is able to work on your behalf. And that's the kind of faith we see demonstrated here in Daniel chapter three. The response of these guys to Nebuchadnezzar in verse 17 is commendable. They say to him, if that is the case, in other words, if this is the ultimatum you're giving us, bow down to this idol or be thrown into the fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Now, friends, this is true faith. This is probably one of the best examples of pure faith in all of the Bible, because please notice they did not presume upon God. They did not say the God we serve will save us. They said the God we serve is able to save us. Some people think, unfortunately, that true faith is focusing on or confessing a desired result. That if you believe for a specific thing and confess that specific thing long enough and declare it boldly enough that somehow God's obligated to do it. Like we can boss God around or something. Like I'm just going to keep saying this over and over and over again, the desired result that I want, and God's going to somehow 
perform it like he's some kind of a circus animal. That is not genuine faith. That is misplaced faith. That is faith in the results, not faith in God. So what they're teaching us here by their response are some important things. And here's the first one. Faith should be in God's ability, not in the desired result. Faith should be in God's ability. Now, listen, I understand we are to pray specific prayers. Philippians four, six. Yes, we are to believe and not doubt James one, six, but we are to believe and not doubt in the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could hope or imagine, not in the results themselves. Some of you might think this is semantics. It's not. This is an important distinction. Too many people just go around confessing the result that they want and think that's faith. It is not faith in the results. It is faith in the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could hope or imagine. Ephesians 3 verse 20. And Jeremiah reminds us in Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There's nothing too hard for you. So God is able, but our faith needs to be in him. Secondly, God does not work according to our wish, but according to his will. God has a will. His will is perfect. His will is always on time. His will is always best for you and me but it might not be the same as your will. You ever notice that sometimes? Your will, your desires, your wish, not necessarily God's. And guess what? One of those two is always better. And it ain't yours. It ain't mine. It's always God's. God's will is always best, always better. And it is okay for us to defer to the will of God. Now, I've heard some people, some people have challenged me on this kind of thing. Listen, Pastor G, don't ever end a prayer saying, you know, may God's will be done because, you know, just confess what you want and trust God. That's real faith. No, no, that's not real faith. See, because I have a will and my will may not be aligned with God's. So I always want God's best. And so I want to defer my will to his. I want to bend my will to his. It's actually kind of biblical. Do you remember? Uh, Let's see. It was Jesus who in the Garden of Gethsemane, His humanity actually wanted to avoid the pain of the cross in his humanity, but he wanted to also obey the will of the Father. And so in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. He deferred to the will of the Father. He says, if there's any other way to accomplish the plan of redemption without the pain of the cross, I'd like to go that route. (laughs) But if not, then your will be done. I'm the first one. I'm the first one to pray in a similar way. Like, you know, Lord, I don't want to really learn this the hard way. If there's another way I can learn this, I'd rather have the easier way. But nevertheless, your will be done. Isn't that we're taught actually by Jesus in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10? Part of the Lord's Prayer is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. John would write in 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So, deferring to the will of God is not a weak prayer, it is a meek prayer, and it is asking Him for His best and to align my will with His so that He might do His good work in my life. Number three, this is also an important distinction. The results do not define the relationship with God. The commitment of these guys in this story was not dependent upon the outcome. Their commitment to God was not dependent upon the outcome. In other words, 
it wasn't this ultimatum. Like, if God doesn't do this, then I'm really going to be disappointed in God. They just, they just had this faith in the Lord and in His ability, and it, and it did not waver depending on whatever the outcome would be. That's why they could say, like they did in verse 18, when they just kind of step, see again, they just kind of step out of the way and defer to the will of God. And so in, in verse 18, where, where they said, but if not, you know, if God doesn't do what we hope, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. They had a resolve that transcended the results. They had a relationship with God that was deeper than their desires, so that even if things didn't go their way, it wouldn't change their confidence in God. Yes, I mean, always we should hope for the best and pray for the best, but pray for the best and leave the rest. Because God is going to do His good work and His timing, and so it shouldn't affect our relationship with Him. I see too many people who lose hope in God because God didn't do what they had hoped. Listen, if God doesn't show up in the way that you want, He's still God. He's still God. If I am persistent in prayer and believe that God is able and defer to His will and trust that He has my best interest at heart, then if the outcome is not what I had hoped for, It's no reflection on me that I didn't have enough faith, and it's no reflection on God that he somehow must not love me or care enough about me. Sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says no, and sometimes God says not now. We always want him to say yes, but sometimes the best thing for us is for him to say no. Don't don't let that get yourself all twisted in a knot. Like, God said no, I can't believe he said no, and why isn't this happening? Have you ever seen your kids react like that when you tell them no? No. Don't be like that to God. Sometimes he says, no, it's for, it's for our, our, our better good. And sometimes he says, not now. And we just have to wait. There are simply some purposes and plans of God that we may not understand this side of heaven. And so here's what happens. Most of you know how the story ends. God shows up in a very powerful way. These three guys are thrown into the fiery furnace. And all of a sudden, they see a fourth man in the fire with them. I'm going to pick up the story at the end of chapter 3, verse 24. And then Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And indeed it was. This is what we call in Old Testament terms, a Christophany, which is an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament before he comes by way of the virgin birth in the New Testament. Jesus appears different times in the Old Testament because he always has been, always is, always shall be, being equal and being one with God. Jesus appears here and he visits these three guys in the the fiery furnace. And verse 26, then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. And they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. And the hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. 
Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, now notice, so he's he's had another epiphany. You know, at the end of chapter 2, he has this epiphany, but time passes. He acknowledged God, but he didn't surrender to God. Now he's going to get another opportunity to see the manifest revelation of God. Jesus among Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar's like, this is the true and living God. This is the guy here. This is the one. Verse 29, therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Okay, not the best evangelistic approach. Like, believe in this God or I'm going to cut you to pieces. But nevertheless, what happens here is the name of the true and living God is proclaimed throughout the land of the Babylonian Empire because God showed up here. And it's the last point I want to leave us with. First three points about faith, this last point about God. He does not always prevent us from the fire, but he will preserve us through it. Think about it this way. If Nebuchadnezzar had given a pass to these three guys when they objected about bowing down to the idol... If Nebuchadnezzar said, okay, all right, listen, your buddy Daniel gave the answer to the whole dream thing back in chapter two. So, okay, I'm going to give you a pass and I'm going to let you go ahead back to your dorm room and just keep it under, you know, keep it under a lid. I don't want, I don't want people knowing that I've given you a pass and I haven't thrown you into the fiery furnace. If he had done that, who would have ever seen the faithfulness of God? Nobody would have seen the manifest presence of the Lord. But now God gets national notoriety here. Why? Because three guys were faithful to just be unwavering in their devotion to the Lord. And even though they had to suffer some intended consequences because of it, God showed up in a wonderful way to preserve them through it. And there are times that God will allow us to go through the fire so he can show his faithfulness in it. If God always, think about this, if God always prevented us from ever having to go through the hard and difficult things, how would we ever really see his faithfulness? If we never had to experience the difficulties and trials of life because God was so gracious to prevent us, and I'm sure no doubt God has prevented us in unknown ways from going through difficulties and hardships, but if that's the way he always dealt with us, how would we ever really see his faithfulness through it? And I don't know about you, but the times I've seen, the greatest times of God's faithfulness in my life has been through the difficulties. It's been through the hardships. And so trusting Him and seeing His manifest presence becomes noted by an entire nation here. And a king who once again will acknowledge and maybe perhaps even surrender eventually to the Lord. You know, Nebuchadnezzar is going to go through a journey of his own spiritually. And he goes back and forth between paganism and the worship of the true and living God. I personally think, I don't know this for sure, I personally think we may very well see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. Because this is a guy who has been given many chances and he acknowledges the Lord. And I think by the end of his life, you're going to see here later in Daniel, how he surrenders. I don't know for sure, but I wouldn't be surprised if if we saw him there. All I know is this, this closing example for us. Sometimes the greater miracle is not that God prevents us from going through something difficult, but instead how he shows himself faithful through it. May we stand strong in trusting the Lord. Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah 43, 2-3, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, 
they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Amen. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been taking you through the book of Daniel, an Old Testament book of history and prophecy. If you have any questions about this series, the Bible itself, or the ministry of Cornerstone Connection, please feel free to reach out by calling 703-771-1500. And be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. You can continue listening to Pastor Gary's messages right now as well by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or by downloading our mobile app. Pastor Gary also has some companion study resources for many of his teachings. These are located under the Teachings tab at cornerstoneconnection.cc and are free for you to use in your own study of the Word, including one that covers the book of Daniel. You're also invited to be part of our weekly worship gatherings here at Cornerstone Chapel. We're in the process of transitioning back into live services, so please visit cornerstoneconnection.cc for the latest information and service times, or join us online through our website, YouTube Live, and Facebook Live. Again, our website for the latest information is cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for tuning in today, and we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not a Call